Uh, turning our attention now to the situation in Ukraine and what's happening there. Uh, of course, the West primarily focused on sanctions. That's been the focus of discussion, as you know. Um, UN Secretary General today saying um, this absurd war must end. The conflict is going nowhere fast, and the Ukrainian people are enduring a living hell. Uh, Guterres uh, said, continuing the war in Ukraine is morally unacceptable, politically indefensible, and militarily nonsensical. There will be meetings this week in Brussels as NATO leaders gather to discuss the next steps to try and end this conflict and prevent it from getting any further spread. Uh, Our next guest gives our country a failing grade when it comes to uh, being a friend to Ukraine. Even worse, he, um, he accuses our government of, well, cowardice and deceit, attempting to trick the world into thinking they're helping when in reality they're not really doing much of anything and they don't intend to. Let's check in with Dr. Rob Hubert. He's an associate professor of political science at the University of Calgary. Doc, thanks for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. No problem, Shay. Yeah, your column um, in the National Post um, is titled The Liberals' uh, Continued Policy of Doing as Little as Possible for Ukraine. Pretty damning indictment of our response thus far. Well, the thing is, is we have to appreciate, and this isn't really getting getting properly expressed, but this war begins in 2014. You know, the there's been a very successful sort of narrative put forward that somehow Crimea was not part of Ukraine, and that somehow that then justified the uh, Russian use of military force to to invade Crimea to cut it off from mm-hmm. from uh, Ukraine. And their successful use of hybrid warfare in the in the in the Dubav region in eastern Ukraine also somehow gets gets mislaid. And so, to understand the Canadian policy towards this war in Ukraine, you really have to go back to 2014 and then track what was happening, rather than just simply looking at the uh, political pronouncements that have been coming out since uh, February of of this year. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that was sort of the initial. I mean, a lot of people call this a continued invasion uh, that began back in 2014. Uh, and I guess you would say it, this is a campaign of continued indifference from the Canadian government. Absolutely. I mean, you go through everything that we allegedly were planning to do or, or, or were set to do, and and there's almost nothing. I mean, uh, the remember when the invasion starts in 2014, we have the Harper government, and of course, in 2015, the have uh, the Trudeau government being elected, and many of the actions that the Harper government took, which were mild, is mild is probably the best one could say about it. Almost every single one of them, with two exceptions, were eliminated, um, and if anything, efforts were made to sort of re-engage with the Russians in terms of any any sense of sort of um, uh, of effort to sort of uh, criticize or contain Russia for the invasion. So, yeah, we'll get to that in just a second. But going back to why that sort of stance was taken was, did we just not see this coming? Were we not aware of where this may lead? Did we not care? I mean, how did we put ourselves in a position where so, we're so ill-prepared for what happened, you know, in 2022, uh, 23 or 22, I guess? Yeah, I think it's it's an element of we've just become so self-absorbed. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the real irony here is, of course, one of the big hallmarks of the Trudeau administration when it gets elected, Canada's back, we're going to be back on the scenes. 
And the reality is that if you trace, we don't even have a formal foreign policy in the entire length of time that this government has been in power. And and as a result, I think the exact opposite has occurred. We have become very inward looking. And of course, part of that is understandable in terms of what has happened in terms of the uh, COVID crisis. But even prior to the uh, the, the outbreak of the pandemic, um, you know, we Basically, with the exception of the one-year Mali deployment and the effort to get a seat at the Security Council or um, uh, at the uh, United Nations, uh, we've almost been non-existent. We're nowhere to be seen on the Asia-Pacific front. In fact, we've been disruptive if the Australian um, Prime Minister, or former Prime Minister Turnbull is to be believed. Um, we definitely haven't been doing very much on the European front. Um, peacekeeping, really nothing. And so it's a very inward-looking approach, almost, I don't want to call it isolationism because we're still involved with our alliances, but it's it's definitely not that outward-looking that many people have associated Canadian foreign policy with me historically. You know, isolationism would be sort of expressed. It would be sort of, we're not getting engaged. Kind of like what the U.S. has done with the USA First program in a lot of different ways. We've continued to say as you say, we're back on the world stage and we're going to be international leaders on this and that, um, but then we don't really seem to follow through. Is it Have we just been complacent for so long? I think a big part of it is we live next door to the United States, and when it comes to defense and all these sorts of things, we just sort of, I think, take advantage of the position that we're in or have. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we're in such a... I mean, the reality is we are in a very fortunate position. I mean, you look at Ukraine having Russia as a neighbor, you look at Taiwan having China as a neighbor, and you go through the entire international system, and and we are in the most secure neighborhood there is. We may not like everything that the Americans do, and I know there was a lot of uh, teeth gnashing when Trump came to power with some of the uh, uh, unbelievable policies that he brought forward. But in the overall scheme of things, um, we are protected. And that gives us the luxury of pretending that the international system's like that and that we can just basically, you know, we, we, we can deal with people like the Kurds that we engaged heavily to assist us when we were fighting against ISIL. And as soon as the situation turned, we basically left them. I mean, many Canadians would not be aware, but when the Trudeau government finally decided to send lethal aid to Ukraine in uh, mid-February of this year, the lethal aid that they had was the lethal aid they were supposed to give to the Kurds and never gave. Um, Same thing in the Afghanistan. Remember, we fought a major war in Afghanistan. We don't like to call it a war, but, you know, Canadian forces personnel, men and women both died there. Um, They presumably killed many of the enemy. And um, basically, when the decision was made, and this this was bipartisan, of course, when the decision was made to pull out, and we have no plan in, in, in place whatsoever to retrieve those that helped Canadians. I mean, at least the Americans, as bad as their withdrawal was, they had something of a plan to pull people out. And so did the uh, the British and French. And we basically said, well, phone, phone foreign affairs and they'll see what they can do over the phone for you. So um, we, 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 we have this, this, this conceit that 
that somehow our values and norms will be so overpowering, but our actions in, in recent years sure don't back it up. Okay, now let's take a look at our response to Ukraine. Is it is it fair to say we've done nothing? Like you say, the lethal aid has arrived, I mean, late, and it was very reluctantly given. But, uh, you know, when, he, when we talk about the international response with economic sanctions, I've, I've read things out of the U.S. saying that Christian Freeland was the driving force behind that. Canada did play a role. Is it fair to say we've, we've paid lip service and not done anything in this effort? Well, once again, one never quite knows what's happening behind the scenes. But I, I have seen the stories, you know, praising Freeman in terms of the response to the current circumstance. But remember, she's been with this government since the government came to power in 2015. I know she wasn't within cabinet and within the, the initial years. But, you know, if in fact that there was a role to play, you have to ask, why does it only come up with the resumption of the fighting um, at that point? Okay, fine. But once again, we check in terms of the sanctions. We check in terms of the provision of military aid. We check in terms of the determination not to have a no-fly zone. And inevitably, what we see in the Canadian policy is we always seem to be announcing it one or two days after our our allies uh, uh, announce that they're doing it. And so it seems as if you know, we're we're at least playing the role that we're not ob- obstructing what the other allies yeah. want to do, but we just seem to be basically following along in that context. Yeah, certainly not leading, uh, just sort of following along with what's happening. Interesting take, Doctor. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us. Oh, my pleasure.